We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. told him this but probably my favorite person at blue wire and i hope whoever hears this at blue wire gets offended by it too by not including them but my guy ty windish bucks nation bucks gang gyro step yido step using the greek lingo to it my man what's good bro thank you for joining me what's good yeah hopefully everyone else can work harder now to uh rise up the leaderboard but i'm honored that you would say that and that you would have me back on the show i'm excited yeah dude we've built a pretty cool friendship uh through the years man we, we talk often we're working together with some blue wire stuff and uh i i love i love the show with you and rohan i watch all the clips uh it's cool man i enjoy it and you know milwaukee's a team now who's like a public team right like who would have thought milwaukee a decade ago would be playing 2025 national primetime games uh through this part of the season so far right unless you have like league pass and shit watching them but how you feeling about things man not even nba like how you living how's everything with you things are good man i just feel like you know the the longer the longer i go i think the more things like just life starts to slow down is the analogy i used to use like sports like you know like rookie quarterback just moves too fast, moves too fast for the game. And then over the years, you see like it starts to slow down. You say, oh, I recognize this situation. I, there's a blitz coming. I got to get it out fast to the slant, whatever. And I feel like that's how life goes too. At least I, that's how I'm feeling, which is maybe just my own ignorance. But uh, I'm happy, man. And things are good. Personal life is good. Bucks are good. Blue wire is good. So uh, it's a, a good time, I guess, to use that word for a fourth time. Nah, I feel you, dude. And and some, you know, for me personally, also, this year was like the busiest I think I've ever been uh, football wise, you know, just because doing two shows for VM, doing two shows for Win, um, working on some stuff with Blue Wire and, you know, ramping up the content now more than ever, trying to build out a personal brand. Like, you know, I had some conversations with people who were like, yo, you do a lot for your show brand, but like you don't really do much for you. 
And uh, I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? If, if, if so many people tell you the same thing, at some point, it's like, hey, man, don't be an asshole. Maybe you should take some of that advice, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at now, dude. But I've been enjoying the NBA uh, a lot more than I thought. And I don't know if it's because, in a weird way, I think there's about eight to ten teams that could win a championship this year that wouldn't surprise me. And I feel like that's happened. Last year was like that, too. The last two seasons of watching the NBA, I'm like, oh, you know, it wouldn't be a shock if this team wins or if that team wins. Do you feel like the parity in the NBA kind of validates that take? Or how, how do you feel about my assessment there? I do think that part of the reason it's felt especially open is all the good teams, except for Phoenix, basically, who's just killing everyone. But all the other good teams have struggled with so much injuries or COVID or both or, you know, Kyrie Irving or Ben Simmons, right? Like, I think that has given room, like the Bulls, I think, are one of the bigger, and they're slipping now that they've lost some guys, although they're back to winning again. They're on a four-game win streak. But I do think some teams have been able to slip in in kind of those teams stumbling. I mean, the Bucks have not been healthy at all this season. And not to take anything away from, you know, the Bulls, the the Sixers, whoever else. That have been, the Cavs are a great example. But I do think it, it feels like there's more parity than there is. But at the same time, I do think there is also more parity than there's been. I mean, certainly we had Warriors, Cavs for four straight years. We all kind of knew. The Rockets were good. One of those years, the Spurs were really good. But we all kind of knew, uh, and certainly the KD Warriors, that was the least fun part of that. It was just like, who's going to get hurt? And, you know, it didn't. they didn't lose until KD did get hurt and Clay. But I agree. I, I think there is a lot of parity, and I think it's good for the league. I think especially, like, you look at the East, the first round in the East is going to be insane. Like, there's not going to be a series where you can be like, oh, I just won't watch. Like, the worst series right now slated to happen is – what Cavs Sixers I guess Raptors like Raptors Bulls Raptors Heat would be up there but those are good teams too and like any of those like there's going to be at least one team I think that could realistically win the East in every first round series which I it must be a long time since that's happened dude I mean you you couldn't you couldn't have hit a home run further than what you just did now I mean the the East right I got the standings here in front of me uh one through six is separated by three games. So, like, that's that's a clusterfuck right there in a good way. Like, you know, Boston, I mean, dude, I'm someone who I was uh, – I bet and picked Tatum to be MVP. And it was, like, very quiet. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that he's the MVP now. I'm not, I'm not going to talk that crazy. But I do feel like, you know, they're on a nine-game winning streak. They are closing in on a potential top three seed. I think – he sort of, if he can continue this and they end strong, he can maybe be in that conversation where like early on in the year, I was like, man, I might have to rip that ticket up from now. You know, like I have one of my friends, my friend Dunbar, who comes on the show often and he's like a huge basketball guy. Uh, we have a little back and forth between Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, right? Like I've been a pro Herbert guy. He loves Joe Burrow. And this is even going back to like Oregon and LSU days. So we have like a fun little rivalry 
And uh, he'll always like text me after a bad Herbert play. He'll be like, man, burn that ticket, burn that MVP ticket. So he was telling me the same thing about Tatum. And then I just sent him the Undertaker gift, like, oh, he's coming out the ground, man. He might have a he might have a chance. But dude, what do you uh you you're talking about the Bulls, right? How'd you feel about the Bulls coming in and how they're they're playing now? Cause I felt like they were a dope fantasy team. Like they had a lot of names on the team. But man, they've been one of my biggest surprises because I didn't think they were all gonna mesh like that. Yeah, I would agree. I think really for me, what changed comes down to DeMar and they've defended pretty well. And I think Vucevic has been more helpful than not on that end. I don't know if that will translate to the playoffs, but I do think their defense has held up. But DeMar went from looking like, you know, a good player in San Antonio, right? Like a good secondary creator, like before the Bucks got Drew fun story, I guess that was my number one target because I didn't think Drew was realistic. I didn't think they had the draft capital. So I said, well, DeMar would be pretty good. DeMar playing off of Giannis and Chris, that's a good role for him. And it turns out that was accurate. Like that would have that would have been really good. I know the Lakers, that was the name they looked at. I think he would have been really good playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis. I think the thing with DeMar is he got written off for so long because he always had a bad net rating, right? So his teams were always better, quote unquote better when he was off the court. But my thing was always like, he's not been on the right teams for him. He's been a little bit overburdened. He can't be the first guy. He should be the second guy. And like him and Lowry, he was like the first scorer. Maybe Lowry was a better player, but DeMar was the primary scorer. And San Antonio, he had LaMarcus, and that was pretty good for a little while, but it kind of fell apart. Now that he's got Levine to play off of, and to a lesser extent, Vooch, he looks so much better. And I just think that combo is really fun. I, I'm skeptical of them in the playoffs. I think they could be, everyone's saying like one of the, obviously one of the best five teams will lose in the first round one way or another. I think they'll probably, they are probably the most likely to be the team out of like them, the Bucks, the Heat, the Sixers. And then if you even want to say the Nets, the Nets are a mess. But I just think DeMar has been so good and, you know, it's great. I think that they're having a good season. I think it's good to have fun stories like this. I did not think they would be this good. I thought they'd be like 45 win team at the end of the day. And I think they're trending closer to 50 and obviously near the top of the East. So I did not expect this. They impressed me. Um, hopefully they can get healthy because I know Lonzo and Caruso being out is pretty brutal for them. Yeah, man. And, you know, the the skepticism on the Bulls is also it's portrayed in the odds, too. Like I uh, I was looking at the futures market because it's around the time where, dude, last couple of years I've been on fire, man. I mean, like I, I called the heat. I was like, man, the heat, there was a roadmap during the the COVID year, uh, sorry, it was at your team's expense, but that was the year that the Bucks were the top seed. And I was like, look, there's a roadmap. They, they were 50 to one odds to win the finals. They were 25 to one odds to win the East. And I'm like, look, there's a roadmap that they could avoid Milwaukee if they finish as like the, the, the six seed or the three seed, you know, because Milwaukee was first. And then come conference finals, there'll be a significant underdog. But I think that's a team that's battle-tested. Like, I like the makeup of that team. They're also a team that has exceeded my expectations because I always felt like the Heat were a team I want to bet on in the playoffs, but not so much a regular season, right? But staying with, with this Bulls thing that you said, I was looking at the odds, and last year I was on Phoenix and Milwaukee to make the finals. And one of my buddies said, dude, why is Chicago like 40-1 to 1 to win the finals? I'm like, yo the books don't respect them yet 
because this is new territory. And you see this happen across the board in all sports, right? Like a team, a team in the NFL, a team in the NBA, they'll just get hot out of nowhere. They'll exceed expectations from the preseason. And the sports books are like, yo, if we get burned by them, cool. But we don't expect them to do much. And that's kind of what I think you see with Chicago. You see with Cleveland. You see, like, if you look at the at the West, Memphis also. Memphis is a top three seed. They might be my favorite team to watch. Like, there's so many guys on that team that I just love watching. But echoing what you said, dude, that's one of the things that you see with the sports books where, like, the Nets are the second favorite to come out the East. And they're a mess right now. But you've seen them in the playoffs. You know what Durant can do when he's healthy. Who knows what happens with, with Kyrie and all this shit that's been going on all year. But I'm kind of with you on the Bulls there, man. Do you know what's crazy about the Nets right now? What's up? This is the worst spot they could be in. Because if they finish eight and Toronto finishes seven, they go to Toronto for the play-in. No matter what happens with the mandate, Kyrie Irving cannot play there. Canada is not playing with that. And then if the mandate is not lifted, which, I, I, again, I'm not a New York politician. I've seen no sign that it will be. We don't know. But then they would have to host one of Charlotte or Atlanta, again, without him. Like, if, if the Raptors are the team to finish seven, they will have to go on the road and then play at home without Kyrie. And if you lose both of those games, you're, you're done. You're not, you're not going to the playoffs. It's like, you know, would I bet against Kevin Durant against Toronto or Charlotte or Atlanta? Probably not, but it's like one bad KD game and it's okay. Patty Mills and Ben Simmons, like, please carry us. Dude, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my buddies is a big Nets fan and he's been sweating it out. And I can't wait to, to run this idea by him because I didn't even think about that. And, yo, you've seen, like, for as great as Durant has been, he's also human, right? And he'll have a stinker in the playoffs. He'll have a 4 of 13 from the field kind of performance. That just happens. Whereas, if you don't got Kyrie out there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be rough, dude. Well, and you know what? I'm, I'm legitimately worried. I love to make fun of the Nets. People say, oh, so I don't care. I don't care that it's sad. You got two, th three superstars. Didn't work out. Boo. But I am worried about KD's load because he was playing so much before he got the knee injury. And it feels like they're gonna probably need him to play a lot when he comes back, just because again, like this, they are the least capable team, I think, of relying on the play-in because of the availability issues with Kyrie. And it's like, man, like I don't wanna push that guy on a, on a, like not a bum knee, but a sore knee, a recovering knee. It's just like before we even get to the playoffs, like that to me feels unsustainable. So I, I hope they can figure something out here or just not push him that hard. And even if you finish ninth, just say, you know what, we'll have healthier KD. We're ready for that. But I'm a little concerned about that for Brooklyn. Like, I, I don't think they should take KD's health lightly at all. But, man, they are in a very unenviable spot. And also, we don't know when Simmons is going to start playing either. So it's like they are just in complete flux right now. Yeah, and also think about this. When they formulated this team around Durant, one of the selling points, and I don't know how much of it went into national media, but one of the big selling points here in New York was this idea of having those two other guys with him was going to lessen the load for him. And that's something that you saw not happen this year because Kyrie with his COVID stance, he didn't play the first 40-something games. And then Harden wasn't the same. And you saw what happened with Durant when he had to play 40-plus minutes. And him and Nash would defend that. Like, yo, I want to play.
You know, yeah, I get it, but I want to play. And it became, it, it was similar to the comparison that I made to Odell when he joined the Rams. Like at first it was a luxury to get Odell Beckham because you have Cooper Cup, you have Robert Woods, you have Deshaun Jackson, like you had all these weapons at, at your disposal if you're the offense. And then what happens? They cut Deshaun Jackson, Robert Woods, before Odell holds the jersey up at the ceremony that they got him, blows out his knee. And now where Odell was a luxury, it's like, nah, fam, now we, you're a necessity now. And that's kind of what happened with the Nets where at first it was like, yo, cool, we you could play your 30 minutes because we got Kyrie that could take over a game. We got Harden that could do his Houston Rockets shit and we'll be fine. We don't need to worry about you off the Achilles playing all these minutes. And then the whole offense turned into, yo, KD, you got to carry us, bro. And you saw it firsthand when they played you guys last year. Yeah, game seven, the overtime. You know, everyone talks about the foot on the line. What was he, like 0 for 4, 0 for 3? Didn't make a shot in the overtime and the Bucks won. And it's just like you run out of gas. And I think ironically that that's what usually happens to Harden, especially in Houston, was they just only – like he was on ball 100% of the time. His usage was crazy. He's putting up these 60-point triple-doubles. And then he gets to playoff time, and it's just not there anymore. And I think we saw that not until the very end. I mean, until that overtime, he was amazing. But you do wonder, like, you know, would he have been able to sustain that if if the foot isn't on the line? My Every Bucks fan's least favorite hypothetical because it comes up every day on Twitter. But let's say they win, right? Is he going to be able to do that for two more rounds against Atlanta and then against Phoenix? Like, I don't know. I, maybe. Maybe he would have. He's Kevin Durant. But it is just a ton of load, and I think that's why – the Bucks, the way they use Giannis less, like the way he doesn't all on ball defend most of the time, the way whenever they can, like if they can play him 28 minutes, they love to do that. And they, you don't ever really see him play a ton unless it's like an epic game against a contender. I think that's more sustainable. And I, the Nets just don't have the luxury. I mean, it's not like a simple fix. I mean, if they barely play him, are they going to finish 500? Like, it's it's tough out there. And the teams behind them are, are trying hard to move up. So, but yeah, it is. It shows you how fast, like how fast the window, the window's not closed, but how fast things can change. And it is like, I never, like, imagine that, that trade. Like, imagine telling yourself before the year, James Harden is a sixer before the deadline. Like that makes no sense. That's incomprehensible. If anything, at that time, you would have said, no, you mean Kyrie, right? Like, mm. You're going to trade Kyrie, but no, they had to trade Harden. And I think that's like such a mess because Harden ironically was the most available of the guys. And now obviously he's not. Yeah, that was just so, you know, I, I probably would have said that would be the most likely landing spot that he would end up with because of Daryl Morey over there. But still like you just got him. You know what I mean? Like, you just got him, and you gave up everything that you gave up to bring him in. Um, I do love the trade for the Nets, though, because I think with Simmons coming back, Simmons just needed to get out of Philly, man, because, and and it was even prior to the playoff run, right, and how, like, bad some of those clips and, you know, the Doc Rivers stuff and everything that went down. He just needed to leave Philly because they were, like, the, it was one of the top five talking points on like NBA Twitter and talk shows everywhere, like whose team is it? Number one. And which one would go if you had to, right? If you had to pick one, who's the other guy? And it was Simmons was always going to be the scapegoat there. You know what I mean? So I think a fresh start for him in Brooklyn, I think it's dope. I love the trade for Brooklyn. Personally, I didn't get to talk about it much. I kind of put out that, that uh, I turned that convo that we had that one time we linked up about james harden and like hey bro is it you like it might be you i turned that into like a whole solo rant that i did on him because that's just how i feel right like 
I, I think it might end ugly in Philly again, right? Like I do too. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you think otherwise? Exactly. Yo, all I, all I've seen is it ending ugly for you. And yeah, you got now. Now you have a big. The only exception I will make is that you have a big that you've never had like that, and it's clearly not your team now. So that's kind of think about that though. Yeah, it's gonna be a hard sell. It's hard. Like I, I forgot what coach said it, but it might have been Popovich or it might have been Phil Jackson, where he's like, you know, one of the worst positions you could be in as a coach is trying to coach the aging star. And not that like, yeah, Harden's getting older, but his game is kind of the same. And and I always felt like his game was sustainable, right? Like Harden wasn't a guy that's built on explosiveness the way Russ is, the way John Wall was, Derrick Rose, where you knew that once your explosiveness went, it was going to be hard for you to be as productive. And like, yeah, Harden gets by people and whatnot, but it's... To me, he's not a guy that I think like Blake Griffin explosive and John Wall explosive, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because I think he's known as this deadly shooter. But if you look at the percentages, he's usually not been like, you know, 40%, probably because he takes so many really difficult threes. And also he takes a he takes a bunch of shots, too. So like he's a volume shooter also. So that's why I feel like, yeah, Steph, but different breeds, though, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if some people recognize that though. Like I do think some people put them mm -hmm. on the same and they're not. Like Harden Harden loves that step back. But yeah, you look at I mean he hasn't been above thirty-six percent since his third year in Houston. And that was the first that was the only time he's done it since he left OKC, just because the looks are so hard. But I do think he has to you have to rely more on the shot as you age generally, right? Like that's what you have to do. And we've seen his ability to draw fouls get and he's getting back up there now. But I do think that getting getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line are really important parts of his game. And I still think he's going to be effective. But I think there's a reason now he's like 22 a game instead of 34 a game or whatever, 30 game. And it's still very good. It's still Philly still gets the best perimeter player they've ever had with, with Embiid for sure. But I do think it's different and it's different for a reason. And I'm interested to see, you know, how how they use them both. And I'm really interested to see if there is a squabble, if Hunt is upset about something, and he goes to Daryl Morey, how does Daryl on? Is Daryl on his guy for a decade, James Harden's side? Or is he on his new guy, Joel Embiid's side? I don't know. It shouldn't matter, but it seems to matter with James Harden more often than not. So these are, I think, questions that we may end up getting answers to. Hey, man, what team as a Bucks fan scares you the most to come out the East, if you have to pick one? Um, like that would beat the Bucks on an Eastern bracket? Yeah, because right now I feel like the Bucks are the favorite to come out the East. Um, you know, not not betting wise, value wise. Like I just think the Bucks are the best team in the East. Um, they've been there, they've done that. The the core likes playing together. There are no reports where like Middleton is upset. I mean, are there? Like, are there any reports? Because from what I see, there aren't. Right? Like, it, it seems like pretty calm and breezy. Anytime I'm on your Twitter feed and you're talking about the Bucks, like, there's no like hostility, you know. So, what what team scares you to beat the Bucks? Yeah, I, I think Miami is the natural answer. Um, they've got PJ Tucker now, who clearly has a huge chip on his shoulder because the Bucks opted to pay George Hill and Grayson Allen instead of him. So. 
Um, and uh, they could have had all three. They, they had the budget they had, and they opted not to keep PJ. And I think he was rightfully slighted by this. And he's played really good against the Bucs. He's, he's leading the NBA in three-point percentage somehow. So he's been really good there. Um, and Miami is just a team that you saw in the bubble and then not the year after. But you did see in the bubble, like, they're a good team at containing Giannis. And even if you look at the first-round numbers from last year when the Bucs got swept, Giannis didn't go off in those games, but it was everyone else. And that's why they make me nervous, is they are one of the few teams in the league who can actually contain Giannis. But you can't do it one-on-one. That's what I think the misconception, like you need to sell out your whole team. So you just need to rely more on shooters, more on everybody else. And I think the Bucs can win like that, but it's just I'd rather not have to win like that. So I think Miami, first off, because they're super motivated, and they, they, I think they're one of the most confident teams that they can beat the Bucs because they did it two years ago. Um, but otherwise, I mean, like Chicago, not at all. If, if a team doesn't have a Giannis answer, no. Like if there's no way to guard Giannis, you're not going to beat the guy four times out of seven. So like Chicago, no, not a chance. Boston, I also think no for the same reason. Cleveland, just too young. I do think in the future they could be a problem. Like Mobley is, is a guy who seems like he could defend Giannis. You get Jared Allen behind him. Two years from now, Cleveland probably will. Philly and Brooklyn, not so much. I just don't think they're going to be ready to do this by playoff time. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, there's never been a team that made a major seismic move at the deadline and then won it all. It's super rare if it does happen, just because, you know, it takes some time, even with superstars, to figure out, like, how to play together. And it's just really hard to, you know, flip around from in three months from, oh, hey, my name's James, to we're winning a conference finals together. So I'm almost less worried about those teams, even though they have the superstars than I am Miami, just because Miami knows how to win already. Yeah. I think Miami is the answer too, man. And look, it's going to be, that's a real thing playing in South beach, especially in the playoffs. Like that Miami flu is, I know we like to laugh and make jokes about it on here, but that's a real thing, man. You're going to be in South beach for four or five days. And now it's not, now it's not Miami where it's like COVID and shit, right? Like it's it's full capacity crowds. And I know the Miami fans get some heat, you know, no pun intended, because they leave early or they're not as faithful and whatnot. But it's still, you know, South Beach, there's a lot of temptations down there. And you're there for a couple of days. It and and just historically, they are a great team when they play in Miami in the playoffs. And even even those down like Wade years post the championship. They were taking teams and pushing them to the limit. You know, there were close games, and it was something where, you know, that's the real thing. But I think Miami's the answer, and also what you mentioned, dude. Like, you guys have played each other the last two seasons. So there's also a, yeah, we've beaten them before when no one thought we were going to beat them. And then last year, Giannis didn't beat us. The other guy stepped up, but he didn't have those, like, monster games that you saw in the playoffs. And I just think that Miami, they got that, they got that like, weird vibe which is a good thing of they don't back down for anybody like no one's gonna yeah man i hate to admit it it is real it's not to the extent that like the fanfic that their fans put on twitter or whatever but there it is a real thing like that franchise does have the juice as long as pat riley's there yeah man yeah so i would agree with you that i think miami is the team that i would worry about i want to I was going to shift from Brooklyn to the Lakers when we were having that combo, but I really wanted to ask you as a Bucks fan, what team scares you in the East? And the reason why I wanted to make that switch over to the Lakers is, dude, awful, awful take by me coming into this season. One thing that I spent the most time on 
was like, I, I love that Russ move for the Lakers. And one of the reasons why was because I felt like Russ is a guy who just cares night to night about his performance. And he just goes hard. It's the Tuesdays in Washington theory that I have. Like he's a guy that cares about that random midweek game against the Wizards, against the Pacers, where LeBron and AD might sit, right? Like, all right, yo, you've played nine straight games, AD. We know you're kind of fragile, dude. You're pulling fingers and backs and all that. So rest this one. We got Russ, and he could do his thunder shit, triple doubles, the whole nine. But it has been awful. Dude's being benched. Uh, you know, the worst thing, I, I, I said this a couple of years ago, the worst thing that happens to Russ-led teams is that he makes his first three of the game. Because then after that, he's trigger happy and he's like, oh man, it's going to be one of those nights. Like you want Russ to not make his first two shots if you're a fan of a Russ-led team. Because if he comes out the gates three for three, you're in trouble. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I, like you to an extent, um, thought it would be better in the regular season. I never liked the move for the Lakers because my initial take was, you probably wouldn't, like you said, you probably wouldn't more in the regular season, right? Some of these nights where those guys aren't available, it'll be great. But fourth quarter of a game seven against Utah, or maybe maybe they handle Utah against Phoenix. If they, they probably don't, whatever. A game seven against some, the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, that'd be a fun seven game series. Um, LeBron has the ball in his hands, obviously. And that's why I've always called bullshit. Like, oh, it's Anthony Davis's team. No, it's not. It's you're on the team. It's your team. It's always going to be your team. And it should be. I'm not saying that's a negative that LeBron is going to have the ball. He's the one of, if not the greatest ever, he's still at that level. He should have the ball in his hands. That's what he does. And the fact that they try, they said they tried to say about AD and I was like, whatever. I mean, they can just lie, but LeBron will still do it. AD can just roll with him. Like it's fine. And it was, and they won a title, but with Russ, like Russ doesn't do anything. He doesn't have the ball. And that's why I was like, you know, even if you get five wins better in the regular season, and it hasn't worked out like that even, but I, I don't like putting all your chips in for a regular season move and not a playoff move. When you have LeBron and AD, your goal should be playoffs. Like pay Dennis Schroeder if you want someone to inefficiently use the basketball in the regular season, but focus on like keep KCP, keep Kuzma, these guys who can help in a playoff series. But it hasn't even worked out like to that low standard. It just hasn't worked at all. He hasn't fit. They don't have enough shooting. They don't have enough defenders. AD has not been as good defensively this year. LeBron is being asked to do way too much. You talk about KD having too much on his shoulders. LeBron has to be the apex defender, the number one offensive player, the number one scorer. He's one of their best shooters in a lot of lineups. Like you're asking way too much. And I just, I'm really surprised, shocked that they didn't make a move at the deadline. I think that is like really and I, I don't think i've even gotten to say this anywhere yet it's so irresponsible to have lebron on your team and not make the move and talk about your tax bill or your future assets or what was he 38 he just passed kareem for most points between playoffs and regular season and you're worried about your 2027 first you need to make a move you cannot sit like this and i think it's in, it's inconsciousable if that's even the right way to say that word that now between the the young kids year and this year, they're wasting two years of still apex level LeBron. And they are, it's a wasted year. They're not gonna win the, the playoff. They're not gonna win the West with this roster. And it's just like, it's just ridiculous, man. Like it's, this is crazy that they're they're doubling down on this thing. 
Dude, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that they didn't make a move at the deadline. It was one of those things where I kept expecting that, oh, this just in like a couple hours after the deadline. You know, we received paperwork from so-and-so before the deadline. So and then they make this trade or, or like a buyout guy, right? Like they're always the prime guy gets bought out. But there wasn't any crazy buyout guy that was going to make help them. Goran would help. We'll see if they get Goran. I think the Bucks are the leader in the clubhouse, and he would make a ton of sense there. And I know they're pushing very hard to get him, Goran Dragic. But, you know, he would help just because they need more guys who can play. Like Stanley mm -hmm. Johnson's a revelation for them because they just don't have guys who can play. I mean, Stanley Johnson's fine, but they, their roster is just so bad. But they, they don't have – no, like he's not going to make – you know, with Goran, they're not winning the West, clearly. Yeah, I was watching that game they played against uh, the Blazers after the Blazers traded CJ. And I'm just watching that Lakers team, and I'm like, dude, like si Simmons has been okay. Like, he's been a fun revelation for, for the Blazers. But I'm just watching that game, and I'm like, yo, this team is not good at all. Like, it's we can't fall in love with the with the LeBron thing. Yeah, he's great. He's amazing. No one's questioning that. And it's a conversation, bro, that I see that shit around Brady, too. Like, I'll never forget, I, I money-lined the Titans in that playoff game when they went into Foxborough. And they beat, you know, the last Tom Brady Patriot game. And everyone's like, ah, oh, man, it's Brady. It's Brady. It's the it's Brady LOL text that I would get when I would ask people like, yo, why do you like the Pats? Why do you like Alabama? Why do you like the Lakers? And all they'll tell me is it's Saban, LOL, Tom Brady, LeBron. It's like, dude, they are not the issue. LeBron is not the issue. Everything else is not good. That guy can only do so much. Yeah, if he goes out and drops 50. And, like, LeBron is – LeBron does this shit all the time, man, where he'll, he'll like, turn it up. And I felt like he was doing that prior to the deadline. And he was having these, like, ri that ridiculous stretch of games where he was having where I'm looking at his MVP odds. And I'm like, yo, it's kind of wild. He's 80 to 1, dude. This was, like, the favorite coming in. But I feel like LeBron does this all the time where he cares so much about the narrative around him, where he wanted to ball out so bad so that the media could be like, oh, it's not LeBron's fault that the Lakers are you know, 25 and 26 at the time or whatever they were. LeBron does that shit all the time, man. He, and I, I also think part of it, too, is he's at a point where he has to pick and choose how to use his, you know, the gas in the tank, right? And, and I do think up, leading into the deadline – there was probably some real excitement for LeBron of like, okay, like this is what, like this is what GM LeBron time, right? Like we're going to get some moves made and then we're going to come out firing afterward and nothing happened. And then the disaster like continued. Dave McMenamin reports that, you know, Polinka is telling people like, oh, LeBron and AD and me were on the same page, no moves. And then immediately LeBron and AD like leaked to McMenamin like, no, we weren't on this page at all. And it's like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, why why even put anything out if if you know they're not? Just don't say anything. You're, you have the option to not say anything. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, – and the Blazers now who beat them, they're, the Blazers have won three straight. The Lakers have lost three straight. The Lakers are two and a half games ahead of Portland to drop to 10th in the standings. And New Orleans is kind of surging a game behind the Blazers too. So – you know, I think they probably hold on to a play-in spot, but if LeBron has to sit out for a couple of weeks, I think they might not even finish 10th, which would be, I think, the biggest embarrassment in the league. I think you talk about surprises both ways. 
that's got to be number one. Like the fact that that they're not even like top seven, top eight, that's really tough, dude. Yeah, the fact that they're not at least locked in to for sure making the playoffs, I think is wild too. Because like, yo, if you have AD and LeBron, that should be enough for the regular season to make. Yeah. Uh, and a- AD's injury, of course, but you kind of have to factor that in to a certain extent. At this point, when you're handicapping Laker outlooks or any team that AD's been on, because we've also seen it every season that he's played, you got to factor in that dude's going to miss 15 to 20 games. It's just it's just part of it. And it sucks, but that's just his makeup. He's a dude that, you know, he gets hurt, man. I think you look at they've played 57 games. And they've had a $40 million plus dollar player for 56 of them in Russ. And I think that's, that's the season right there. The fact that you invest so much in a player that you just can't win with, that you're not winning with, I should say, is that that's it. I mean, that's, you just can't really function that way. I mean, they're 500 in games LeBron has played. That's wild. 20 and 20 in games that one of the best five players on earth has played in. It's just, you just can't do that, man. Like, not in this Western, I mean... This West isn't that scary. It's top-heavy. But even in this West, you can't afford to do that. You can get knocked out of the play-in. Yeah, man, for sure. And the Lakers are just, again, if, if they weren't called the Lakers, I don't I don't think that we'd be spending that much time on them. But because it's LeBron and it's the Lakers, you feel that way. One, one team that I think has been a pleasant surprise, and they might be my favorite league pass team, uh, is Memphis, dude. Uh, talk about a team that's surging. You know, six straight wins for them. Ja has been like... Jaws a future MVP. Um, maybe not this year, but I mean, he's, and it's cool because, like, you know, Memphis, teams like Memphis, um, I would even throw Milwaukee into this before they got Giannis. There's always teams that they can't bring stars there. You gotta, you gotta hit in the draft. If you're a lower market team, um, that's one of the reasons why they extended that Supermax. They made that a thing because, that's one way that you could keep your stars if you're New Orleans, if you're Milwaukee, right? Because it's not a free agent destination. I mean, New York is, but no free agents come here anyway, but that's a different conversation. But the cool the cool thing about Memphis and, and why I'm really happy for them is I always respected the Grizzlies. Like when we were, you know, like a decade ago when they had those like the Grindhouse Grizzlies, Grit and Grind, yeah, and you know, like, th- there were fun teams, and they made a Western Conference Finals run with, like, Conley and Gasol, and they had, like, Tony Allen and shit. Like, those were some fun teams. Like, if you were an actual basketball fan and you liked, like, hard defense and, like, efficiency, and that was the kind of team you liked. So, Memphis, they hit on the job pick. He's been awesome. But, like, some of the other guys that they got, like, Bain has been dope. Um, obviously, we know about uh, Jared Jackson Jr., but, like, you know they're a team that they've they've drafted really well, man, and I'm I'm hyped that you know they're they're one of three teams that got forty plus wins. I mean I don't know what the odds of that was to be talking about this, but how you feel about yeah how you feel about Memphis, dude? I I think if you I don't think you can, but if you could bet on a team to make the Western Conference Finals but not win the West, I would put. I mean obviously Phoenix would be overwhelming favorites, but I would put significant money on Memphis. Like I think this year. Memphis is going to would beat any team except Phoenix in the West in a series. I think they're that good. And I think they're going to give Phoenix a run for their money, quite honestly. I, I favor Phoenix. Like you, I think Phoenix is going to win the West. I, I think they're somehow still underrated. They buzzsaw everyone. They're so good. But 
Memphis is, is it reminds me a little bit, and people keep poo-pooing this when I make this comp, but the 14-15 Warriors, and I know they didn't win a series like Golden State did the year before then, but you have the superstar transformative point guard, you have the elite guy next to him in the backcourt, and you look at Bain's numbers next to early Clay Thompson numbers, they're not that dissimilar. The volume of threes, the scoring he does with ball being an elite shooter, and then instead of Draymond, you have Jer- Jaron Jackson Jr., who's not that level of defender, but has a much bigger offensive impact on the game than Draymond. And they have a bunch of elite role players around those guys, just like those wars. You had Sean Livingston, Andre Gala, Leo Barbosa was good, Andrew Bogut. You look down the Grizzlies roster, and they have a bunch of guys who are the same way. They have, some are younger, they're a young team, but they have some guys who have been around the league too, like Kyle Anderson has been good. Steven Adams has been really good. Melton's having a good year. Brandon Clark is insane. Like their roster is stacked. Dylan Brooks, who hasn't even really been able to play that much. Hopefully he gets back soon. But that their, their team is stacked and they're really good. And I think it's the opposite of the it's Brady text of like, they can't do it. Like they're too young. Like they're, they've never been really on a real, they, they got swept by, by Utah, whatever else. I, I think they they would beat anyone but Phoenix. I think they'll have a shot against Phoenix if they can stay healthy. This Grizzlies team is legit, and and they're saying publicly like don't discount us because we're young. And I agree. I, I don't think that's a real basketball thing. I mean, I think you learn from being in the playoffs. But this team and the way the West is not as loaded this year, man. Like I would even be a little interested in their finals odds just because I, I think he's had some diminished effect. In the like at the end of long playoff runs recently because of his age and, and the miles and everything. Um, and if he if he has a bad series, I think they have a shot to actually beat Phoenix, which is wild to say. But I, I don't think it matters that much that they're young. I think they're ready for this. And I can't wait to watch them in the playoffs. They're such a fun team, the Grizzlies. Dude, yeah. And I think one mistake that people make, because I love the I love the comparison to the Warriors team. Um, the one that lost to the Clippers in the playoffs, because like a mistake that I feel like people make when you when you hear a comparison like that, they immediately think of the players, their first thought of the player now. So when you say Desmond Bain and Clay Thompson, they think of Clay now or like the Clay that we've seen all these years. It's like, nah, man, we're talking about like early on. The makeup of the team is very similar. You talked about the odds; they're they're twelve to one on win bet to win the West which is interesting because I feel like it's the it's the Heat Bucks comparison where there's a roadmap where if they finish as a 2 or 3 seed, they don't got to play Phoenix until the conference finals. They also they have guys that can take over games and they have the one guy that could take over a game, which is what I love and you're getting on board early on with Memphis. I love it, man. I'm with you that I think the Suns are clearly the favorite. All offseason, everybody was trying to figure out who's going to be this year's version of the Heat from the bubble, this year's version of the Suns. And I just kept telling. I even I talked about it with Will and uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy on the pod. They're making all these picks. I'm like, yo, we're trying to find the next Phoenix. Why can't it be Phoenix again? Right, they ran it back with everybody, and everybody's happy with the contracts. Well, Aiton for the most part, but that's you know that's just Phoenix how they handle business. 
But yo, I'm kind of like I- I'm thinking of throwing a little bit on Memphis because from from a betting perspective and odds wise, like I know it sounds weird because we're like yo the Memphis Grizzlies to like win the finals, but to get to the conference finals, I think it's interesting twelve to one odds on win bet, and then you just kind of you know you could take the Suns in, in, in the conference finals, right? They'll be a favorite. They'll probably be like minus two eighty, minus three hundred. But if you're holding a twelve to one ticket, like. That's something that, you know, the roadmap is there is basically what I think we're both saying. I, I do have one other team I think could sneakily win the last. I think there are teams who may, maybe Dallas, but I'm, I'm kind of out. I don't buy Dallas. I think Denver is worth considering because it sound, they sound optimistic that they're going to get healthy before then. And I think even if it's 80% of Murray and Porter Jr., the way Jokic is playing, it's really hard to pick any team and say like, oh yeah, they're straight up better than Jokic and the Nuggets. So I think that's interesting. It's kind of the same though as Brooklyn, Philly. I mean, those guys have more experience playing together, but it, I think it's hard to integrate that on the fly like that. But the way Jokic is playing, I don't know if you can overlook Denver if they really do. It's such a gamble. I mean, literally we're talking gambling, but it's such a gamble on on players coming back, especially Murray with how long he's been out. But man, if he comes back and can score... 17 a game like that would be so huge for the nuggets and how depleted they are right now i love it man i love it yeah Jokic was someone coming into the year that there was never a player that had worse odds as a reigning defending mvp than Jokic. like he was there was like seven guys ahead of them and usually you know you win mvp you're like a top three guy he was seventh and it was just like alarming and i think he's been playing with a chip on his shoulder all year uh dude man this was this was dope i appreciate it i'm excited for all-star weekend um there are not a lot a lot of locks in the sports betting world but i mean since i was like 12 years old i've been betting the over in the all-star game and it's a pretty it's it's the closest thing to a lock i think 16 of the last 19 years it's gone over the rookies have gone over nine straight years it's 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 the best one like i love i love the rookie games uh you win some money on that and then you roll it over to sunday and uh i feel like we covered a lot of things especially for the second half of the year too man so i appreciate you coming on yeah man thank you again for having me it's always a pleasure i love to come talk hoops and and whatever else with you nick are you uh you planning on coming to new york anytime soon dude we got to get you in the studio and do this in person I know, I know, I want to. Um, I don't have set plans right now, but I think it does make sense uh, to have, depending on your plans, hopefully we can link in uh, maybe Vegas for Summer League too. Hit the studio out there one time. Yeah, I definitely plan on being out there in uh, in the summer. I'll be actually in Vegas in uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm going out there for, going to record some stuff, but mainly like a uh, guy's trip. We're going to watch the UFC event. Uh, it's dope, man. Being in Vegas for a fight week is, uh, there's just a vibe to it that's like really awesome. And I love the UFC. So, Ty, this was a pleasure once again, man. Appreciate you hopping on. Always a dope time. Tell the people what you got going on and where they can find you. Yeah, man. Eurostep Podcast Network. A lot of Bucks coverage, mainly Bucks. We, we sashay into some other teams, some general league stuff as well, though. So, follow on Twitter at Ty Windish. Um, and you, all my links, and I push out everything on there. Um, but follow the podcast, please. Eurostep Podcast Network. We got all, all pod feeds wherever you listen to this wonderful podcast. Also on YouTube. And we have a sub stack as well. So check out all that for more Bucks and NBA content. Really appreciate it.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.